In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. Carla, are you listening? Carla, are you listening to me? What? (laughs) Carla, are you listening to me? Carla, Carla, are you listening? What are you doing? (laughs) I have one word to say to you. One word. Are you ready? I guess. Razzmatazz. (laughs) (laughs) This is just a fun word to say. (laughs) (laughs) Razzmatazz. Carla, are you listening? Plastics. What? (laughs) I've got another word to say to you. What is it? Idiosyncrasy. Uh Uh-huh. It's just a word that I like. (laughs) Hi, Craig's listeners. We're back. (laughs) We are back. It is a hot, hot day in Los Angeles in October. Oh, my God. It's about 95 degrees, and we realize that we have not done this in a while. We just realized this morning. We We woke up and we were like, oh, no. Oh, oh, shit. The Craigslist podcast. (laughs) There's only a few left. Whatever happened to that? Yeah. But here we are, episode 90. We're up to number 11. These go to 11 on the list. And uh, we're we're sorry that uh, we haven't been around in a while, but we're going to burn through these last 11. Is that right? Yeah, we're going to do all of them before the end of the year. Are you sure? I'm positive. Is that even possible? Yeah. We're going to do a couple in a week. Are there even 11 weeks left in the year? No, I'm saying we're going to do a couple in the week. In okay. a week. We're going to get it done. All right. You're ready to go. I got to get this off my plate before I turn 40. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, today's movie is a 1967 classic directed by Mike Nichols, starring Dustin Hoffman and Bancroft and Catherine Ross. The movie is The Graduate. And Simon and Garfunkel. Simon and Garfunkel have a prominent part <laughs> in this movie. But to help us do this, we have a very special guest. <laughs> Uh, too long uh, in coming on uh, waiting for her to be on this podcast. We are so happy to have our friend, a talented, funny actress and writer, Janie Haddad Tompkins. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. She's way lower energy than I expected. <laughs> What's going Where's Janie? Oh, no. Uh, I just, uh, shit, I forgot. I was just sitting up. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> And we're we're in your lovely home right now, surrounded Thank by you skeletons. For over. <laughs> I know we are ready for Halloween. Girl. It's very Halloweeny we here. Are red day, red day. And this is one of those episodes where we just watch the movie. It is fresh in our minds. It is awesome. Yeah. And we are raring to go. It's awesome to watch it with you. Thank you for hosting us. That was very kind of you. Uh, spoiler alert, listeners. We're also neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we could walk over here. That and was kind of like. We won't funny. reveal the neighborhood, but uh, somewhere <laughs> in the greater Los Angeles area. Northridge. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be a quake any moment. <laughs> Uh, the Graduate's currently streaming on Netflix, by the way. So it hopefully is. that was lucky. That made it easy. That made it easy. Yeah, because so. I don't mean to brag or anything, but I have a subscription. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can't they afford. They did it. up the prices too. Did they? Yeah. Did they put it up a buck? What did they put it up? I, it's a like buck? thirteen bucks or something <laughs> at this point a month. I think it's that is a lot. A little highway a month? Ro- highway robbery, but it's fine with me because I only recently quit the Netflix DVD club. Oh, is that right? <laughs> so I was paying another twenty bucks a month I didn't to know get DVDs. We're still doing. That's that. what everybody says when I tell them that. Wow. But yeah, you still can get DVDs hey, shipped Netflix, to your home. We're paying y'all a lot. Digitize it all, <laughs> all of it. Just digitize it. Digitize that shit. Digitize that shit. Uh, so the graduate. Uh, when was the last time that either of you saw this movie? I uh, I don't think I'd seen it since my 20s. And um, I know I sound youthful, but that was a long time ago. <laughs> so, um, and not since I've lived in Los Angeles. So that was fun too. I can't remember the last time I saw it, but I've seen it multiple times. Okay. So it couldn't have been too, too long ago. 
I don't know, maybe five years ago. Mm. Now, this movie currently sits at number 17 on the AFI Top 100. Really? Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. It was the top grossing movie of 1968. It came out in December of 1967, was the biggest box office set of 68. Adjusted for inflation, it is still, I think, in the top 25 of all time. Really? Yes. Uh, of like what it netted. If you adjust it, for inflation, like, you know, so Gone with the Wind is still like the number one box office yeah. king of all time, you know. And was this like, I, I, cause I kind of had forgotten it was based on a book, but was this like a best selling book? Was this a highly anticipated, like The Godfather was a very highly anticipated yeah. book into movie situation? I don't think the book was especially successful, but it was like optioned right away. The book came out in 1963, and the okay. guy who produced this movie, whose name is escaping me, optioned the book right away. Thinking Levin, it, uh, Levine, some, Joseph Levine was listed as the. Maybe that's the one guy. Of the yeah. Um, Main producer, maybe. And he secured Mike Nichols to direct this movie before Nichols had directed Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which was his first movie, which came out the year before this. So, oh. uh, so Nichols was a successful Broadway director. He actually got this gig before the Virginia Woolf gig. Interesting. I feel like Mike Nichols in person must have been supremely confident and just like intelligent right away because it feels like he was given so many opportunities without having to prove himself very yeah. early on like just opportunity after opportunity he must have been beloved by actors because and i do see this in the film and like his body of work like he clearly brings out amazing nuances mm-hmm. in actors and figures out yeah like how to find the layers of the storytelling and stuff. So I don't know what his Broadway... I mean, I guess he was big on Broadway and... Yeah. He just had directed a string of hits on Broadway. And I think this was a time where... Well, certainly Broadway is big financially now, but I think Broadway was really kind of the cutting edge still at the time rather than something that was aping what was going on in movies Mm -hmm. and, you know, jukebox musicals. Mm -hmm. You know, this is where like new art really got developed at the time. What is the last movie that Mike Nichols directed? Ooh, before he died? I think it was. Oh, he died. (laughs) Yeah, he died like four years ago. He did. Yeah. Okay. Charlie Wilson's War, I think, was his last movie. I don't think so. I think there was one after that. Maybe something for TV? I'm going to look it up. Okay. Okay. But I was struck this time, which I never really thought about before, how much the rhythm of the dialogue felt like Nichols and May sketches. Yeah. The the way that it clips along and every line has so much nuance to it. They rehearsed this movie for three weeks before they started shooting. They rehearsed it like a play. Uh-huh. I, I could see some – it seemed like some of the traffic patterns of the actors and the camera work was, was uh, you know, it was choreographed. Yeah. Yeah. You were right. That was his last Charlie movie? Charlie Wilson's War yeah. was his last movie. Which was 2007. He must have done something – oh, he directed something on Broadway. Arthur Miller's Death of Salesman, I think. Oh, wow. With Philip Seymour Hoffman. So he basically worked right up until he died. Am I making all of this up? <laughs> uh, there are a couple of great Mike Nichols documentaries that came out in the last couple of years that we've watched, but one of which is mostly an interview with him and uh-huh. then another one that was done by Elaine May. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. I'm going to check this out because I don't know much about him really. <laughs> But yeah, this was strong out of the gates for Mr. Nichols. You know, his second movie, he had been nominated for Virginia Woolf the year before, and he won Best Director for this movie. Nominated for seven Academy Awards. Best Director was the only one it won, which is kind of surprising. Wow. I know some of the performances in this. That must have been a tough year. Yeah, all three of the principal actors were nominated in their respective categories. So Anne Bancroft lost to Catherine Hepburn for Hmm. Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Hmm. Hoffman lost to Rod Steiger for In the Heat of the Night, and Catherine Ross that lost. Was a good, that, was a, that was a really good movie. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember who won Supporting Actress, but uh, there's a great book called Pictures at a Revolution by Mark Harris, which is about the five movies that were nominated for Best Picture that year. Oh. So you have The Graduate and Bonnie and Clyde, which were kind of like the emblems of new Hollywood, uh-huh. and you have... Guess Who's Coming to Dinner in, in the Heat of the Night, which are more like middle brow and trying to make statements, you know, in an old school Hollywood way about racial issues. Uh-huh. And Dr. Doolittle, which was a gigantic what? bomb. It is a terrible movie. and was kind of uh, representative of the big budget, grandiose musicals that Hollywood was trying to trot out at the time. So, so it was like a real like 
it was a real pivotal year of like Hollywood trying to find its identity and all that stuff. Yeah, I think a, a lot of people trying to attribute, you know, where uh, movies went in the seventies with all the auteurs and the the new style of acting. I think you can really attribute it to Graduate and Bonnie and Clyde as kind mm. of the, the hallmarks of those. I should watch Bonnie and Clyde again. It's been a long time. Yeah. Uh, the last thing he directed was Death of a Salesman in 2012 on Broadway. Oh, wow. With Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, wow. As Willie Loman. Yeah. Yeah. And he had just worked with Hoffman, Philip, that is, in, uh, <laughs> in Charlie Wilson's War. Yeah. Yeah. So Dustin Hoffman was not a, a favorite for this role. You know, he was an unknown theater actor in New York. The book, uh, Benjamin Braddock is written as kind of a Robert Redford type. So he's mm-hmm. like tall and blonde and good looking. So he's oh basically like Carl and all his fraternity brothers at the end are basically what Benjamin is supposed Who to be. cast this movie? I'm curious. I don't know the name of the casting director, but it, it, I think she did like notice Dustin Hoffman yeah. in an off-Broadway show. Not like back in the day when casting directors actually like – Went to see live like, performances. Saw like act- <laughs> the potential in actors. And, and discover like, people. And like didn't have to look up like YouTube subscription numbers and yeah. stuff like right. that. <laughs> I do have to point out that Allison Jones, who's maybe the top casting director in L.A. now, like goes out of her way to see live – theater like she makes trips to chicago and new york every year to scout that's for new good. talent i mean that's awesome which is why she's started so many careers yeah yeah mm. not mine <laughs> <laughs> allison i'm still waiting for your call we have a show next week this thing on it's a ringers on I don't, uh, but uh Dustin Hoffman certainly brings a a new and different energy to the movies that was never there before. The re- I, the reason I enjoy Dustin Hoffman as an actor and he is one of my favorites is uh he's first of all he doesn't I look like a movie star. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes him instantly relatable. And then also I just feel like his face can convey so much with so little. Yeah. Like he's I agree. he's just like you know what he's thinking and I don't know. I just think I think he's an interesting and neat choice. Yeah, I agree. Like loaded line readings is the thing that I really take away of like how much of a meal he can get out of a out line of like words. Th- yeah. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, there's a lot of intention with everything that he says, you know, like you can feel it go beyond just reading it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. One of the funniest scenes, I think, is when Mrs. Robinson has just made the first pass at him and then Mr. Robinson comes home. Yes. And so Benjamin is trying to collect himself, yes. like having this conversation with Mr. Robinson and she comes back in the room and everything. And everything he's saying is so monotone, mm-hmm. but it's so loaded with everything that just so happened much to him. Like, this, like, you can just see him like playing I want I need to leave I want to leave I need to leave I want to leave mm-hmm. and it and like every like just want every little single bland word is is screaming it you know yeah it's he's he's great I agree and the one very funny scene uh with the desk clerk at the hotel played by Buck Henry the writer of the <laughs> movie uh Nichols gave Hoffman the direction of you are trying to get uh, condoms at a pharmacy and there's lady pharmacists. <laughs> so, that's great. I, I think that's where Mike Nichols, you know, being an actor and being trained in improv and a writer and, yeah. a, and a writer and his experience as a director, being able to give actors the right motivation to get exactly what he wanted. And, and did Buck Henry, did he also write the novel? Did he adapt his, the novel? No, the novel was written by Charles mm-hmm. Webb. Okay. And, uh, there were se- they've been trying to make this movie for a while, and there were several drafts of the screenplay. So the screenplay is credited to Buck Henry and Calder Willingham. And Calder Willingham, I think, wrote the fourth draft of it. <laughs> Never met Buck Henry. Okay. Uh, but because both of their scripts lifted largely of patches of dialogue from the novel, Calder Willingham appealed to the WGA for credit on the movie and got it. Interesting. Oh, wow. <laughs> but the the version that we see up here is basically Buck Henry's script. Okay. But I guess a lot of the dialogue is verbatim from the book. So That guy's a smart guy. Cal- <laughs> what is the name, Calder? Calder William. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. Also wrote Paths of Glory, previous Craigslist mm. entrant. Did he also lift segments of that from there? <laughs> 
graduate. The I novel literally don't remember that movie. What is that movie? <laughs> Paths of Glory. It's that Stanley Kubrick movie with uh, Kirk Douglas where they're fighting in World War One. Oh, I fell asleep in that. So it seems like we all enjoyed this movie, mm-hmm. but are there also aspects of it that are problematic in, oh, sure. in 2019? But like, it's fine, you know, like, cause it wasn't made in 2019. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, for me, like the movie, it doesn't feel problematic because it's almost symbolic for first of all of mm-hmm. it's of its era second of all it's mild and in, in it's you know right treatment of male female politics or whatever but also like the i mean and maybe i'm wrong because i didn't read the novel but i mean the whole thing is symbolic it's mm-hmm. it's like the affair is symbolic the affair is like mm-hmm. Like things are happening to him. His parents and his parents' generation are telling him what to do and he's willingly doing it even though it's toxic for him. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea is that he finds connection and solace with this other woman, this other young woman, and they break away from it and they escape from it. So like for me, it like it doesn't feel so rooted in – in reality that it's not dealing with these larger issues. Right. I didn't find it problematic really. Mm. I think the, did you, I mean, did you, I don't know that I would say problematic again. I feel like it's very much of its time. And, but I do wonder like how it would play if it was, if Mrs. Robinson was Mr. Robinson and he was the younger woman, you know, and like right. how that kind of, um, sexual, I don't know. Yeah. A prowling <laughs> would, play today but it doesn't have to if it did play that if that like i think that would be more problematic right for sure the only thing that kind of bugged me this time watching it which i don't remember thinking this before is just kind of like how sad i feel for him not because instead of like dealing with his own stuff he throws his whole life into this other woman to into Mm -hmm. uh, elaine yeah right yes (laughs) again we just saw it I know. I'm sorry. But we were talking about Elaine May, so I got, I got bumped for a second. Uh, and so watching it, I was like, oh, bummer. Like, he really just needs to go to therapy and take care of himself <laughs> and, like, like figure like, it out and then go back for her. I had, like, no doubt they were going to figure – like, he was going to figure it out. She was going to fi- figure it out. Whether they stayed together or not. Like, it, I, I almost felt like – to me, it was more like the – it was just the moment he woke up to himself. Yeah. Like, it wasn't about him – like avoiding his own emotions as mm. much as he was like finally waking up to himself and what he wanted to do and doing something as opposed to right. things happen. Well, the whole time him. he's a passive character, right? Until that moment yes. when he becomes very active. Yeah, yeah. But that's so funny that you say they figure it out or you think they figure it out because I feel like at the end of the movie, like, oh, they're screwed. Oh, <laughs> like, you do? Yeah, totally. No, I feel like they escaped. Like they escaped. The bu- oh. Like to me, it's so generational. Like, <clears throat> And and I don't know if I'm looking at it through the lens because just I'm so like Gen X and I grew up with like the baby boomer narrative so heavy in my Mm -hmm. like upbringing of like that whole like greatest generation generation of going off to work, coming back, acquiring things, blah, 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 blah. And then the boomers like being met with this cultural moment in the 60s where they like reject all of that. Mm-hmm. And they reject the swimming pools and they reject the, 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 um, convertible cars and they reject the sort of like suburban m- m- cookie cutter narrative. Yeah. Narr- yeah. And so for me, it was, it, although then, but now look at boomers. They've all, <laughs> let's not talk about what happens. Then we rebelled against them. Yeah, then, like post 1980s when they became yuppies. Yeah. That's the whole, they didn't know that was going to happen yet. And they, and they were like seeking their own identity. I, I felt like, to me, it was almost like it was this m- moment of chills of like, oh, they, they got, cause oh, remember, I love she, that. she says, she says it's too late because she married Carl. Yeah. And then she says, not for me. It's right. Not. And, and then she breaks away from that. And it, it, I feel like if I were a young person on the verge of adulthood in mm-hmm. the 60s seeing this movie, it would literally make my heart Sure. It would lift me. It w- I would have left the theater being like, 
wow, that really got, I really got, that really got me. And I think people did. I think yeah. that's why it was such a humongous hit. Yeah. Well, and I, and I totally agree with all of that. Like, I think that that's what the plot is. And then I think that final moment on the bus when they're just kind of like <laughs> sitting now? there, it's like this, what now? What have we done? What do we do? <laughs> I think it's just like a beautiful, Which is so like, we great. got out. Like, we got out from under. We got out from under the alcohol. We got out from under like the the well, let, marriages. Well, let's unpack the ending a little more as yeah. we go through chronologically through the movie. Because he just let the camera keep rolling, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about it a little more. Is there I, a re- am I misinterpreting? Like, does Mike Nichols tell us how to feel? And I, I no, know. I don't. I think that it's that. That's, I'm saying I love that we both kind of walk away with a different vibe because I think that shows how great of a movie it really is. You I know? mean, but it is sad for me now as like someone in 2019 to know what happened to the boomers. And how they've robbed us of our social security. <laughs> <laughs> However, at that time, it must have been like incredibly liberating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why it's so amazing that it was such a big box office hit because it's a very experimental and artsy movie structurally and the way that it shot too. I mean, he really was inventing a whole new cinematic language here. And I think... It is so loaded with imagery and metaphor, you know, but I, I think, I think that Nichols left it, you know, open to our yeah, interpretation, ambiguous. you know, I think I want to just say how aesthetically pleasing it is <laughs> to watch this film. Especially I, like the, everything. This nice big TV yeah, and everything. Totally. Yeah. Well, also like it's the, beautiful. We get to, the actors are so gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, I, the one thing I didn't remember from the last time I viewed it. And honestly, I don't know how many times I've seen The Graduate. It may be possible I only saw it one time and had and memorized it. Wow. Mm-hmm. Because that's how powerful. You were quoting back some lines as they were happening. Because it's just so memorable. Like yeah. every minute, there's no iconic, waste, there's yeah. no wasted moment of, of, of like emotion in it. But like there, one thing I didn't notice was the production value first time around. And I think I, for sure, like, saw thematic. Like, mm-hmm. like, Mrs. Robinson always is in Animal Prints. Mm-hmm. She leads him into the atrium, the sunroom, in mm-hmm. the first scene, in the first seduction scene, and it, the place is like, surrounded by like jungle plants mm-hmm. yeah and like i just i didn't know the striped awnings are like bars like a yes, cage like really and then they, they visit the zoo later and it's like it's like i didn't notice like all those little like predatory hints yeah, yeah. she's a lion and he's a gazelle yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i mean yeah it, it was it was i thought um not enough props to the production value and i'm curious if that was one of the nominations uh, I know there was I'll seven nominations. Well, you yeah. tell us when you first saw it, right? <laughs> well, this movie was my mother's favorite movie. Oh, really? So oh, that's she cool. would have been about 25 when it came out. Mm-hmm. And so I remember as a teenager, my mom constantly telling me that I need to see The Graduate and it's her favorite movie. I think maybe we waited until I was mature enough, which was, <laughs> would have been ah. maybe 15 or 16. But, sure. uh, that's probably when I first saw it on home video. And then I remember seeing it. Also in college, uh, at a screening at William and Mary. And I remember that line where his dad's like, what, what were those four years, uh, good for? Right. He He's says, like, I don't know. You tell me, yeah. <laughs> you know, getting a huge cheer at college. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I know picture director, the three actors. It and looks like, yeah, c- like the cinematography. cinematography and screenplay. D- adapted screenplay. That's all it looks like. But not here. for the technical stuff. That's surprising. Well, I'm sorry. Whoever costume designed it and production. Maybe I'm not looking at the right it, list. Good job. No, I think it was seven nominations. So I, I think that's right. The DP was Robert Surtees, who was like an old school Hollywood uh, cinematographer. Like he had won the Oscar for Ben Hur. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. That's really surprising. You think it would be to like me. a young yeah, guy who was totally. doing, yeah, who was doing like cool counterculture stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are some of the shots or cuts that are particularly memorable for you? Because there's a few sequences that are incredible. The one that like really affected me today watching it was after um, Benjamin runs in from the rain and tells Elaine, like he doesn't even tell her, I guess, but then Anne Bancroft shows up behind Elaine. I love that. And then when they go out into the hallway, um, how the camera pans out, pulls out, I guess, um, on Mrs. Robinson 
And she says goodbye, Benjamin. Oh man, that and is it's that just a like shot. Dressed, she's dressed in black and, and this white like, wall like, against yeah. this white wall. It's really amazing. She looks diminutive almost. And yeah. She's been so in charge of yeah. the whole affair until that moment. Yeah, yeah. it almost feels like an insane asylum. Yeah. <laughs> like, and one thing I didn't notice until now was like his his jacket is so uh, like he's so wrapped up in his jacket at the end. It looks like a straight jacket. Like it's oh, literally wow. a white jacket, and he he doesn't have one arm out of it. Totally. Know? So it's almost like he's been carted off to the loony bin. Yeah. On that bus at the end. I particularly was impressed with the opening party scene, the way that he they like track the camera back and forth, mm-hmm. and then like the people uh, walk or walking in, around surrounding him, surrounding him and like asking him what he's going to do with his future and all this stuff. And then they kind of swing by Anne Bancroft in that chair and she's just like, sees him. Like she yeah. Sees him. yeah. She's like, I'm on it. Yeah. She's <laughs> I'm on it. She on sees it. a soft underbelly and she's going for it. You know? Yeah. From think, a high mound in the savannah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sees a wounded animal. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, I forget the name of the character. The guy who says plastics is Mr. Something or whatever. That's got to be one of the most memorable lines from a guy who has, you know, 30 seconds exactly. of screen time. Yeah. That is like so. Mr. McGuire, that guy's name. I, I really love that. It, it really is almost like two movies that, that there's the, the Mrs. Robinson half and then there's the Elaine half mm-hmm. almost. And it, the whole thing plays as, as pretty great comedy, you know, for the first 45 minutes or so. And then after they start having the affair, it kind of it they play two Simon and Garfunkel songs uh, in a row, in yeah. a row, "Sound of Silence" and "April Comes She Will," and it's almost like it the cool down phase. Yeah. And now it's a more melancholy movie, mm-hmm. and you realize that like that this affair is not bringing him or her any joy. Yeah. And that whole sequence of the cuts back and forth between the hotel room and his parents and his parents' house like, yeah. are so expertly done and that thing where he pops out of the pool and then into bed with her is like that's that's awesome one of the most amazing cuts i felt so sorry for mrs robinson this time around in a way that i don't think i remember feeling when i was younger oh 100 percent sad and pathetic i feel so bad for her but that scene in bed when when he's like asking her about her past and clearly she just feels like regret regret yeah Yeah, like that made me really sympathize well she probably got pregnant not that i feel regret I don't, <laughs> but I can imagine. Well, she's manipulative and predatory, but I think Anne Bancroft brings so much emotional depth to it. And yeah. like, and that is really a heartbreaking moment, you know, and he doesn't see her face. Right. We, we see her face right. in that moment. Uh, her line reading of art, art. you yeah. know. I, I think that she is exquisite in this movie. I think that her performance is probably so much more than – what could, could even be the novel. I don't know. I haven't read the novel. I'm sorry to yeah. the guy who wrote it. But like, I do believe that, uh-oh, there's the cuckoo clock. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> no need to apologize. <laughs> oh, my God. Bye. That's when Paula Tompkins comes out of the back room. It's a visit from me, everyone. <laughs> He's been waiting and lying in wait. The Graduate, great film. Uh, <laughs> No, but I know about it. I'm glad that it's it's ranking so high and that everyone enjoyed it so much. And uh, hey, just want to say happy pod sweeps, everyone. It's an important time, and that's why I'm happy Big to come and land. It is sweeps week, yeah. My voice to this project. He's getting the Peloton bump. Get the PFT bump. Right, PFT bump. Clock, I go. <laughs> well, he totally interrupted my my speech. I was going to give about um, women's choices prior to like the pill, right? You know, and right, how right. you know you he, married the first person you slept with or wanted to sleep with or that impregnated you. Yeah. yeah because i don't think like there was much option to get safe abortions <laughs> and yeah. uh, women's lives after the pill were a to- it was different they had choices you know like they mm-hmm. became college educated like elaine did as opposed to mrs robinson and stuff and i and i think what we see from this movie and the time it was made and it being of its time was that real first wave feminist, you know, mm. you know, first wave feminist pivot moment of like what your choices were open to you that you could choose yeah. maybe not to marry the, 
the doctor, the, the right. frat, Mr. Makeout King or whatever that guy was. You know what I mean? And so there was a lot of feminism woven throughout it, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it was so pervasive and prevalent in the cu- culture at the time. And she is a sympathetic character because yeah. our, the, our grandmothers, which mm-hmm. she would have been that generation, did not have the same opportunities and choices that we have now. Yeah. And even one generation back. Right. Um, she was manipulative. She, you know, sure. but also they, the, the one thing that they skirt around that we talk about today is addiction and mental health. Like she talks about her alcoholism. He's clearly clinically depressed, but they don't, they don't name these things as, as, uh, you know, health issues, mm-hmm. right? They're right. stigmas. They're like things that are, that are not like, taken care of in a healthy way. I felt like she was saying it as a way to excuse her behavior. Like that's, she tells him that before they even sleep together. And it's like, Oh, interesting. It's like a a way to disarm him and like make him feel like whatever can happen might happen. Saying it. That's interesting. I didn't see, how did you, what I didn't see that motive. I feel like a tactic to, Mm. even if it was true to kind of disarm him. I believed her that Mm -hmm. she definitely was, yeah. Like she had But you know. but for her to say it then just was like weird. So she, I love that he calls out how weird the conversation is too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it is true she overshared. I mean it is like a Los Angeles moment, right? Like yeah. someone oversharing, like narcissist oversharing with you like instantaneously. Yeah. Like their problems. I think you're both right. I think it's all there. Like it's she's written as a predatory, manipulative, you know, character who's you know trying to get the upper hand in this power struggle but i think Anne bancroft makes her feel like a human being yeah Mm -hmm. i agree uh, yeah more more so than you know somebody else might have and so she's sympathetic because she feels human yeah i think she she played her with empathy was candace bergen up for elaine or for mrs robinson for elaine Oh, yeah, okay. she was. She would have been in her early twenties at the time. She's busy oh. like doing LSD with Art Garfunkel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the age- look it up, Google it. <laughs> <laughs> the ages are interesting because Hoffman was thirty, playing twenty-one. Yep. Uh, Catherine Ross was twenty-seven, probably playing nineteen-ish. Yeah, I would yeah. guess. Uh, and Bancroft was thirty-six. Um, like 42 or something. But even Mrs. Robinson might have been in her late 30s for real if she but got she pregnant that young. Bride. Yeah. Right. yeah. Could be a Gilmore girl situation. Wait, so Anne Bancroft is 30. 36 six? at the time. This was six years older than Hoffman. And she said, she says, I'm, tw- I'm twice, twice your age. Twice your age. Benjamin. And William Daniels, who plays Mr. Braddock, it was 40 at the time. That's crazy. So 10 years older than, uh, I was, than and Hoffman. he looks like he's. 50. Yeah. I was reading on IMDb that Gene Hackman was originally cast as that. And then they did rehearsals and they fired him. Yeah. Cause he was too Why? young. Cause oh. he looked so much younger. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. William Daniels, just one of those actors who always felt old, but he's really good. He's but this is well. like pre HD. So they could get away with these, like <laughs> with lighting people young and lighting people old. Right. Yeah. You know, and Mr. And Mrs. Braddock are literally fuzzy. You know, and unfocused, you yeah. know, in the background yeah, they and are. a lot. You know. I like, I feel like, um, Anne Bancroft, she brought so much, um, physical heft to the, like, she was 36 playing whatever, not that much older, I guess, 40, but like, she had so much weight to her, like, in terms of like having a sad, life and sad existence and being stuck in choices that mm-hmm. are unfulfilling to her that she, like every physical move that she made was so slow and kind of yeah. exhausted. Yeah, yeah. I really thought her performance was like awesome. Yeah. She had won already for the miracle worker in 61, which was the one that Joan Crawford accepted for her. Oh. Why did she have to accept it for her? Was she like she was doing a play on Broadway? I think she watched Feud. It's all covered in Feud. I can't watch Miracle Worker. It like I will cry so hard. It is so. (laughs) Have you seen that movie? Mm -mm. Oh, you haven't? I don't think so. Mm -mm. I know. Maybe when I was a kid. I know I've seen the play, but I I don't think I've ever seen the movie. It's not on your list. All right. (laughs) Well, no Miracle Worker season two. (laughs) No, we're finishing this in 2019. What about Carla's list? Can we do a Carla's list? (laughs) We have a few. Uh, I I should add that uh, one noted baby boomer, Roger Ebert, loved the movie when it came out in '67. Thirty years later, it was re-released, and he wrote another review of it (gasps) and started this. 
Well, here is to you, Mrs. Robinson. You've survived your defeat at the hands of that insufferable creep, Benjamin, and emerged as the most sympathetic and intelligent character mm. in The Graduate. How could I have ever thought otherwise? What murky generational politics were distorting my view the first time I saw this movie? <laughs> That's wow. funny. Great movies remain themselves over the generations. They retain a serene sense of their own identity. Lesser movies are captives of their time. They get dated and lose their original focus and power. The Graduate, mm-hmm. I can see clearly now, is a lesser movie. Mm, I don't I don't agree with that. I will ask what year what <laughs> year was that second review? Ninety seven. Ninety seven. That feels more like Ebert. It's the Clinton years. <laughs> <laughs> that feels more like Bowling Ebert being embarrassed of his generation Ebert a little more. Ebert wish he'd stuck around for twenty nineteen because <laughs> things got worse. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't necessarily agree with that. I do think it holds up. I think some stories can be dated and still capture and still convey to us the time period in a coherent and precise yeah. way. Like that is not uh I don't I didn't I found I thought it was an intelligent movie. I didn't think it was I don't know. I mean, it, he wasn't he says he's an asshole. He actually, like, the character even says, like, the reason I'm, I, I hate that I'm acting like this. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't like this part of me. I don't like who I'm being. And he, he, like, that's part, like, the beginning of his awakening, right, is when he sees her crying in the strip club. Yeah. The, the only thing I was really alluding to in talking about it as problematic is just the way that he's stalking her, <laughs> you yeah. know. Uh, it's, the- it's weird, but she, like is open to it so it makes it less weird <laughs> i also think like that like you like we think it's weird too in internet times like mm-hmm. she could have if she wanted to call the cops really got it got it like lost him lost right his tail lost the tail right but i think you get the feeling that she's probably stuck in this marriage to carl too like this is what her parents want this is mm-hmm. the conventional exactly. guy and she appreciates the attention that benjamin is showing her you know yeah. even if she knows she's supposed to marry this other guy so uh, I think there's enough scenes with them at the college to for me to buy it. Yeah, you right. Know? But definitely the the behavior would not fly today. But you yeah, know. the behavior today would be terrifying. <laughs> yeah, and there would be like social media involved and like GPS and stuff. Yeah, right. <laughs> but now it's just kind of like, wait. I mean, I was at the student union and he was there, and it was like he's so. <laughs> but into they also me. grew up next to. You. I mean, there was a safety inherent. In him as well. Because they've known each other since they were kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's his dad's partner. And like, Mm -hmm. it's sort of like, you know, that was, yeah, it wasn't someone that she just met. Well, let's go chronologically through the movie a little bit with a segment that we like to call Carla's Quotes. Cool. She's feeling her oats and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carla's Quotes. And we'll also add some Janie's jokes. <laughs> I didn't uh, say too much. No, you didn't. I was into it. Yeah. I it didn't was... know that we all said much ever. Well. Did we? You might be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Janie, Janie, you said you said some stuff. Sometimes I talk too much, then I miss what they say on the movie, and I'm like, what did they do? You did say that a couple times. You're like, I was talking. I yeah. No, I am bad about that. I actually thought I was trying to be good. But, That's so okay, funny. Fine. I was the creep sitting behind you writing down everything you did say. That's <laughs> fine. Uh, I love the first line of this movie, by the way. We're about to begin our descent into Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're looking for symbolism, like yeah. that's a great way to start. And then Hello Darkness, My Old Friend is yeah. the other mm-hmm. kind of first line of the movie. In the sunniest place ever, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then that first shot of him on the moving walkway uh, slowly. Genius. You know, moving, it, moving into his future. Genius. Um, Carla, during the opening credits, that's good font. <laughs> it was right i agree yeah and then you also threw in is this the most subdued dustin hoffman performance it really is he's it really quiet is it? i'm trying to remember like all his performances he's so loud and i would say more like like chaotic Rain man <laughs> still chaotic right i mean he's a very mannered actor he's very much yeah. outside in That's right it's, it. it's yeah. all about starting with the costume and the look and everything and i think as his Career, uh, probably Kramer versus Kramer is the other one that feels most human, right? Yeah, but he yells a lot in that. Yeah, he's he's loud. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's upsetting. I love that movie, but yes, it is upsetting. Uh, 
And then that other shot of Benjamin of his head kind of floating in the fish tank. Yeah. And yeah. then his his parents come in and like literally block him. Like the blocking is so great there of like that he's literally trying to escape from his parents' shadow. Yeah. Like I love that there's the little um what's it called in the fish tank? The little guy. Scuba man. The scuba man. And then he's a scuba yes. man later. So crazy. <laughs> And then as they go down the stairs, there's a, there's a brief glimpse of a creepy clown. <laughs> oh my God. A painting in their house. And, and Janie said, ugh, ha- Halloween movie. That's a Halloween. For that brief second, it was a terrifying Halloween movie. But what I loved about that was that it then set the tone for all of those close ups of the f- family friends. Like they all looked They're like clowns. crazy clowns. They're they crazy did. Clowns. Yeah. And those weird angles, it felt like a weird fun house. like Suspiria, (laughs) which I just watched recently. Ooh. (laughs) The remake or the original? Ridge. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, That remake was a fucking mess. Was it? I want to see the remake. You should because it's fucking crazy. (laughs) But it was not not good. It's worth watching for Tilda Swinton alone. But back to The Graduate. Back to The Graduate. Tilda Swinton is – no. Yeah, all the adults fawning over him – uh, is is so great, and uh, do we buy Benjamin as a track star? <laughs> <laughs> well, not at the end when they show him running to the church. So, I mean, his form is pretty good. He's built in okay. this; like, he's got a strong he's muscular. No Tom Cruise that we we noticed, core. we pointed out he was no Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> um, when he's on the, when he's on the raft, I noticed like he's got some muscles. Yeah, yeah. During the famous plastic scene where Mr. McGuire is going to say his one word, Janie yelled out, climate change. <laughs> if I were remaking it, I would say, Benjamin, I've got two words for you. <laughs> climate change. Climate change. <laughs> Hollywood, are you listening? I'm available <laughs> to direct this remake. Uh, and you have a role for me, right? We'll oh, get to that. We'll get to that later. Oh, I've, ca- I've cast everyone at this table. <laughs> When Mrs. Robinson tosses the keys into the fish tank, Carla said, so many metaphors. Yep. <laughs> I love I love his reaction when he calls her out on seducing him and then she kind of backs away from it and then he immediately gets embarrassed. He's like, oh, that's, that's the worst thing I've ever said to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just think the dialogue is so tight. His comic timing is unbelievable. I love, I think it's so smartly written, that scene where – everything that she says is like, I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. But then everything she does is like, I am doing that. Yeah. The way she stretches out her And I like how she underplays everything. Totally. Yeah. It's really fantastic. Why can't it all be like that? (laughs) It's easy. Well, in my remake, it's going to be. Okay. (laughs) You two were kind of obsessed with her tan lines in this movie. Yes. Oh, my God. Her tan lines alone should have been nominated. Yes. They're very impressive. They were so good. Like, how did she get them so perfect? Like, they were so perfect. Because even when you wear the same uh, bathing suit, sometimes the straps fall differently. Not Anne Bancroft. She put them right <laughs> exactly where they were the it's previous like she time she wore it. taped them there or something. It was incredible. Yeah, and I was, like, kind of convinced, like, she tanned for the movie. Yeah. And uh, he tanned for the movie. I think probably. Yeah, that makes sense. We should mention, of course, that she was married to Mel Brooks, which is still one of the weirdest things of all time. I love yes, it. I know. <laughs> Uh, the subliminal boobs are, are interesting as well. Yeah. Are those her boobs? Those are not her boobs. Whose were they? Elaine Mays. (laughs) (laughs) I hope they were Elaine Mays. Did she get to pick whose boobs they were? They were like okay boobs. I would have They weren't great boobs. I would have had another day of auditions. I felt like the tan lines did not match when we cut to the subliminal boobs. They did feel like mom boobs though. (laughs) Yeah, her boobs are better than those boobs yeah i'm sorry who's ever boobs they <laughs> were listening <laughs> <laughs> but they were not and like they didn't live up in my opinion too i agree it his, makes his yeah reaction <laughs> right i agree yeah. like he saw some he saw her he saw her real boobs it was his first time right yes okay yeah he's definitely a virgin he's not just yeah okay that's why I think cutting uh, ahead to when they're at the hotel when they're having kind of their, their first uh-huh. uh assignation uh, it, wow! It, it plays out like a spy thriller almost the way that Benjamin is is playing it, you know. Yeah. And it it you know it it does kind of like go back to those first times, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know what everybody's story is, but their first <laughs> times. But you know, uh, when, when you're losing your virginity of like the amount of preparation and panic, sure. you yeah, know, yeah, that goes like into all it. Of that. 
the heightened the heightenedness of it <laughs> yeah. for sure. Uh, the last time we were recording this podcast in this house, uh, we saw a movie that also featured a Murray Hamilton performance, Carla. I don't know. Murray Hamilton, of course, playing Mr. Robinson in this movie. Last time we were here. We saw Jaws. Yeah. <gasps> He's the mayor of Amity. Oh, that's right. Oh, man. That's How did you like his uh, black turtleneck and white cardigan in that one scene? Because <laughs> that was impressive. Yeah. All the costumes. And actually, that scene at the end with Mr. Robinson visiting him in Berkeley, you know, I felt bad for Mr. Robinson in that too. scene. That really made me sad. But then, like, I don't know about him. <laughs> yeah. He came home late from the golf club and sure. he was drunk. He was and sweaty. sweaty. <laughs> I noticed that too. <laughs> he is not paying. They have separate, but he's not, yeah. he's not being, he's not stepping up to the plate. Yeah. That's uh, so funny. <laughs> how about the deep sea diver suit? So good. That was clever. The parents pushing him back into oh, the pool. So brilliant. I love it. It's so great. Uh, yeah, Buck Henry is the desk clerk. That little physical bit with the bell. Yeah. Now, did he so do funny. a lot of acting, Buck Henry, or he was just a funny? He hosted cameo. SNL a bunch of times. He did. Yeah, in the seventies, I think he hosted. He was one of the first five timers, I believe. Interesting. Uh, because he's in that. Uh, the samurai sketch with Belushi where uh, Buck Henry got his forehead cut by the sword. Oh, Because Belushi right, right, went right. off uh-huh. script a little bit and waved the sword around. Um, there are two actresses from Bewitched at yeah. the Daft Hotel. Uh, in the same frame. In the same frame. And Janie said, that's who I would play in the remake. <laughs> yes, Aunt Clara. What's his, is that her name? Yep, Aunt Clara. Aunt Clara. And Esmeralda. Uh Carla, you can play Esmeralda. Okay. I'll give you an extra role. <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. I'll give you lots of roles. <laughs> and all, all the dialogue with Buck Henry is so funny. And, and then he says, I only have a toothbrush. And then in the, when he's up in the room and he is brushing his teeth, Janie said, he really did have his toothbrush. He really did. <laughs> it's not a lie. I kind of forgot that detail. <laughs> and then she asked him to hang up her, uh, is it her blouse or her jacket? Uh, and Janie said, uh, can't put the leopard print on the floor, baby. Hell no, you can't. You gotta, you gotta hang that sucker up. You wear your leopard print to an affair at a, at the Taft Hotel, you gotta hang it up. You also added, I want all her clothes. I want all her clothes. She had animal print everything, y'all. She had great lingerie. So how long? What's going on? How long are we gonna have the songs of Simon and Garfunkel stuck in our head? Forever. They're used a lot yeah. in this movie. Carla, yeah. maybe too much? Yeah, it gets to be a too much, I think. I'm going to say it. I mean, it's not just snippets. Like, they play out in their entirety. Yeah. I think Sound of Silence is played three times. Scarborough Affair, three times. Yeah, that, that was when it got to me, the Scarborough Affair, when he was chasing her. I was like, enough, enough. Maybe it's just that song. I don't know. The interesting thing that these are known songs. So, like, this is one of the first movies to use, like, needle drops mm-hmm. of, like, this is a song that was already a hit a couple years ago. Uh, in the case of Sound of Silence, it was a number one hit in 65. Scarborough Affair was an album track that then became a top 40 hit after appearing in this movie. Oh, I had no but idea. But these are songs that people would have already heard. I think that's smart, though, because they are trying to capture that the feel of the yeah. time. But was Mrs. Robinson written for this? Well, those were being those... Those Simon and Garfunkel songs that I mentioned were used as temp tracks when uh, Nichols was first editing the movie, and he liked it so much he decided to keep them. Uh, originally, he was going to have more of a full score written. So then he contacted Paul Simon and was like, uh, I'm going to use your songs in this movie. You know, do you want to write some more Deal songs it. for it? <laughs> and by the time they had to come out, uh, Paul Simon had not gotten around to writing the songs that Nichols had commissioned, Ooh. but he did have this little snippet of a song that he had been working on that he was calling Mrs. Roosevelt at the time. Oh, <laughs> and I all the, the yeah. do, 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 do that's in there were just dummy lyrics for r- lyrics he was going to write later. Really? <laughs> but you notice the Mrs. Robinson in this movie is not the version that we know well. This yeah, is that's just, what they don't play like yeah. Yeah. the whole, yeah. It's a different arrangement and some different lyrics in there. They re-recorded the song a few months after this and it became a number one hit. Wow. It was smart. I, I liked it. <laughs> it didn't bother me. I think it was just like... Movies then, they just mm-hmm. didn't, they could play whole songs. <laughs> when he I takes guess. Elaine to the strip club, it's almost like Travis Bickle taking uh, Sybil Shepard to that porno in uh, Taxi Driver. Ugh. Is it? Is <laughs> just, it almost like that? Just wanted to remind you of when that. When was Taxi Driver? 76. Honest to God, when you just said that, I was like, I've never seen Taxi Driver. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, we covered it on this podcast before. Oh, you did? Did yeah. I watch the whole thing? You, well, you watched a lot of it. Yeah. 
Does this mean you're going to see Joker? Apparently that's like a derivative movie, right? Uh, I'm not seeing Joker. I just walked out of Joker last night, as a matter of fact. So what's the... I'm curious, because like, here's what I'm seeing online. I hate to say it, but it was amazing. That's what I'm seeing online. Mm, I think there's a lot of pushback on it as well. Is there viral marketing? That might be. That might be bots. I know we're probably going to get like a screener for it, and I may end up out of curiosity looking at it. I will finish watching the screener. I left because a weird guy in a motorcycle helmet walked into the screening halfway through. Okay. And I'm like, this guy's going to fucking unload on all of like, us. He's going to like knife you. And so I w- was already not I that in. I believe you were like brave enough to see it in a theater because I actually do think there is something to the threat of like tempting. Violent, yeah. A, a, and that's a, a, the especially. world we live in today. It is the world we live in. That's what I'm saying. Like, like. Ugh. Here's Caroline Simon and Garfunkel. I feel like the music's a little much now. Yes. <laughs> but it's still good music. So Norman Fell, a.k.a. Mr. Roper from Three's Company, plays his landlord <laughs> in Berkeley. And that's the Craig, role you think that I would play. Craig, I would like to offer you the role of landlord. <laughs> I would like to formally accept. Okay. And I, 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 I think you're going to be, like, phenomenal in this. I oh, did wonder I what... I love that this has become a whole reality today for Janie. <laughs> reboot By the, the way, graduate. whenever I watch any movies, I'm always like, that's the part I'm going to play, Paul. That's the part you're going to play. That part... I, I, like, literally recast, like, every movie I watch. It really is, like, a thing I do. I did wonder, as they were cutting to reaction shots of Norman Fell, of, like, when he was up for Mr. Roper, if he was just, like, told his agents to just, like, just send them just the send tape of the yeah. uh, graduate. You know? I like that there was like the final scene when Norman fell like his hair was noticeably messy. I saw that too. And I was yeah. like, oh, did he? Was that like the? Was that like the hair designer? Or was he like, no, I want it to be like a just got out of bed. Like, yeah. Just- and twenty-year-old Richard Dreyfus also has a line. Yeah. Who is unrecognizable to me? I didn't. Yeah, he's know. got a baby face. I didn't know how he looked young. <laughs> Carla said, "Could you really be with someone who slept with your mom?" And, <laughs> and Janie said, and, "And Janie had some rationale." I did say, well, if my mother was an alcoholic and a like known narcissist, I might not. I might have extenuating circumstances where I could see, okay, she was a predator in this situation. And I, I mean, listen. Luckily, I've never been put in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> also, like I do, I do view the mu- movie as metaphor was more mu- metaphor. Sure. <laughs> But um, could you, like, if you were in love with someone who said, I made a mistake and had an affair with your mom before I I think I couldn't. I think it'd be so weird. Every time I kissed him, I'd be like, I'd feel, I'd re- I really do. I'm not being funny. I think I'd feel like I was, like my mom had already been here. But what if your mom was, like, <laughs> someone who wasn't good for you to be around? Like, your mom was not someone that you should have in your life. Right. Uh, Dustin Hoffman does have the one line that I swear he has in every movie, which I think is the key to unlocking a Dustin Hoffman impression, which is why. <laughs> if you can, if you can nail down why you can do a Dustin Hoffman. Why? Why? <laughs> we did it. You should play Benjamin oh, in the I reboot. Bet. Oh, but I was going to play Aunt Clara. All right. I read that Elaine May has a cameo in this movie, which I had never noticed before, and we found her. Yeah, that was cool. That when it says that Elaine's roommate is coming down with a note for you, there's a long shot of a woman across the hall, and we think it probably is and Elaine she's May in a yeah. pinstriped go-go suit. And Super let me tell cute. you something, like. And style is coming at you. Sure. I love actually the chunk, 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 a chunk, chunk guitar <laughs> slowing down as the car yes. runs out of gas. I love that. That's so cool. <laughs> I do. It, it did. It was a bummer. He had to abandon his little roadster. Yeah. Because I became attached to it. When he's trying <laughs> to, it was part of it. Like they were rejecting all that stuff. So I get it. When he's trying to track down Elaine and he goes to uh, Carl's college uh, and runs into his buddies, uh, Janie said, it's a frat. It's a frat. It's a frat. <laughs> Seriously triggered. I was not into the frat. And they were good. By the way, locker room talk happened. Yeah. Some serious locker yeah, room talk. Problematic? Like, problematic. That they is problematic. They were being incredibly, like, I think the movie knows those guys are assholes. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> when he gets to the church, the front door is locked, and Carla said, it's a fire hazard to be locked. And Janie said, I bet Mrs. fucking Robinson did that. <laughs> <laughs> also, what about the fact that he, like, sticks... Okay, so there, there's, like, the whole... Not only they're abandoning all of the constructs of their parents' trappings of, like, the nine-to-five job, the the manicured home, the suburban, you know, boring marriage 
predictable children, but there was also a rejection of like organized religion, right? Like he yeah. stabs the door with the cross and locks them behind. Yeah. And they're like all stuck there and like trying to get out. And like, I guess I didn't even totally acknowledge some of the like messaging that was happening the first time I saw it, you know? Yeah. And then oh. I was like, oh, okay, this is like, our generation doesn't need all this. Our generation doesn't need what uh, well, a lot of greatest people, generation does. A lot of people think that that image of Ben banging on the, the glass is supposed to be a Christ image because his arms are outstretched, but it literally was uh, the first take, like Hoffman was pounding on the glass and the minister who actually ran that church was like, can you not do that? Like, that's going to break. Yeah. And so he outstretched his arms to do a lighter tap like a lighter on it. Tap. And now everyone thinks it's uh, symbolic. Oh, that's, oh that's interesting. I didn't. I didn't see it, but so the the can, ending, can, can I yeah. really mention uh, quickly mention uh, Mrs. Robinson wailing on Elaine, <laughs> like slapping the shit out of her yeah. as they're running out. Like that was crazy. That's all. So it, it's kind of a one-two punch ending, I think, which is like you have the Hollywood ending of like the the you know lead romantic characters getting together. It's like so fun and satisfying of them defeating the older generation and running out. And then, yeah, to me, you know, that, that last take of them on the bus is famously like Nichols just leaving the camera rolling and the actors thinking that th- yeah. the take was over, yeah. you know, but it, it, to me of like, that is the real ending of the movie and that they just have this look of like, what the fuck do they, we they do, do now? They do smile yeah. though. There is, they do smile and they also, ha- they're like stunned and also, Happy. I like that they smile though. Like she smiles and he looks scared and then he smiles and she's like, what's going on? Like they don't smile at the same time, which I think is yeah. and not planned, obviously, right? Like yeah. that was just in them in the moment, but it's so effective. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's, it's probably my favorite ending of any movie. Wow. My favorite, my number one <laughs> ending. Better, better than Sex in the City too? Much better. Okay. Carla, is this an Thank A you. for you? Oh, for sure. I love this movie. This cool. is an A. Janie, is this a name? 100%. Okay. Yeah. I think it's my favorite movie we've covered so far. So, that so it's would, in the right place. That would track. It's in the right place. <laughs> we want to do a little improv scene? Sure. Um, I think, uh, Janie, who would you like to play? I guess. I don't know. Yes, and <laughs> why not? <laughs> do you want to be Elaine or, or Mrs.? Yes, and. Okay. <laughs> what if we were the ladies um, from Bewitched? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and we could be anybody. I mean, did you have a specific idea? Because you, you could say it. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I thought that, uh, you know, Elaine and Benjamin eventually are going to run into her mother. Okay. Right? All right. You know? So you want me to be Mrs. Robinson? Yes. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Benjamin. Daughter. Um, Mrs. Mom. Robinson. Mrs. Robinson, I know this Daughter. is... Ma. Da. Ma. Da. This is awkward. Can we just get through this breakfast, please? Welcome to my studio apartment. That's right. Your yeah, father right. left me and took all of my money. It's very nice here. Are you paying... What kind of rent are you paying here? $300 a month. That's, well, that's a really actually... Is there any, Are there any vacancies? Because we're looking. <laughs> oh, we are. Are you here because you need a place to to crash? Well, I don't have a job. I uh, was offered a place at Mr. McGuire's. Uh, I'm not surprised. Plastics Corporation, and uh, didn't didn't pan out. So. We heard plastics are probably going to ruin the planet. I would call them problematic. Sure. Well, we're finding common ground there. That's very nice. I mean, you look good. Thank I'm glad you. Glad you kept your leopard prints. Thank you. I've been sunning. Tan some great tan lines. Ta- How do you get those tan lines? If you don't mind me asking, Mrs. I Robinson, I super glue my bathing suit to my body. Mm, sounds uncomfortable. It does sound uncomfortable, <laughs> but brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. What's what's happening with Mr. Robinson? I wonder. I, you'd have to ask Mr. Robinson. Oh, so you're not keeping in touch with him? That's interesting. I'm not. <laughs> that's that's interesting. Elaine, have you talked to your father? Well, uh, he does try to call occasionally, but it's, since I don't know, this is before caller ID has been invented, so what is I don't that? know. <laughs> Something in the future I heard could be Elaine, coming. I need to know when you're making out with Benjamin. Do you ever think of me? <laughs> <laughs> I actually try not to. Good. I don't really think of you much when I'm not with you, but yeah, I guess I hadn't really thought about it before. Like I've slept with you, and I've slept with this. Is yeah. I. You know what. Mom, I was actually thinking something that could, uh, you know, maybe move things along with our relationship. Carl is still single, 
And I know you like guys that I like. And it would actually really help me out, like, if you just went out with him once. I've already had Carl. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Janie, thank you so Janie, much for joining us. Thank you for having me, guys. What a delight. This was really fun. I'm glad that a good we one. watched that movie again. That movie was so good. That was really great. Uh, where can people find you online? Oh, I would love for people to come and follow me on Instagram. I'm at Lebanese Looker. I also have a robust Twitter <laughs> Twitter account. Um, and my handle on Twitter is at Janie Haddad. Yay. All right. So come check me out, y'all. <laughs> Carla, we're about to enter the top 10. Oh my God, I'm so excited. <laughs> and what better way to Don't. celebrate than Don't. with a visit from our old friend, Mr. Woody, Woody Allen. <laughs> oh my God. Another Woody Allen? We've got Haven't three like more Woody no, Allen. No, two more, two more. Two more Woody Allen movies. How did he, he made that many? You know what? That makes me mad that he made that many. <laughs> that he made three? You know what? Like, <laughs> he made so many. He's made like 50 movies. He's made a movie a year. Okay, so what is it? Uh, this is a 1986 movie, a Best Picture nominee starring oh Barbara Hershey and Mia Farrow. Mia Farrow's in it, surprisingly. I really like this movie, actually. Barbara and her sister? And, uh, no, Hannah and her sister. Barbara and her sisters. <laughs> That's the remake That's the I'm doing. Uh, Diane Weist uh, won Best Supporting My Actress favorite. for this movie. I love her. And yeah, it's called Hannah and Her Sisters. It's a great movie. Okay. Well, Craig's listeners, we, do we have are, a guest. Uh, I believe we do. Uh, I haven't nailed down that guest I'm yet, sorry. but yeah. Sunyi's gonna come and talk about it. I've always wanted to meet her. We're trying to get Sunyi. We're trying to get the scoop. <laughs> We're currently currently in negotiations <laughs> with Sunyi, but it should have gotten her for the graduate. Yeah, it might be Dixieland Jazz Night, in which case she's got to be there for uh, that. You know what? Prison of of their own making. <laughs> <laughs> Hot take. Uh, Craigslist is. We'll see you soon for Hannah and her sisters. <laughs> the list is an absolute good. The list is life. <laughs>